that if you are not interested in the spotlight, yet you would like to occupy one of the 36 premier seats in all of American motorsports and don't want to add any value, then you do not have a seat in one of the top 36 seats in all of American motorsports. <laughs> Goodbye and good thank you and good night. All right, we're live. The Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Kligerman, joined as always by Landon Castle. This is our podcast about all motorsports. As always, you can check out the Money Lap newsletter at themoneylap.com. Goes to your inbox three times a week with the greatest highlights and best highlights from all around the world, motorsports world on Monday mornings, Wednesdays for some of the coolest and best stuff around the motorsports world, and of course on Fridays as well. So check that out, moneylap.com. Uh, Landing before. Before I let you talk real quick, I just want to let mm-hmm. everyone else out there know on today's episode, we missed this last week where we give them a short synopsis. We're going to be talking all of NASCAR, obviously my race at Vegas, uh, a forum, the racers forum that I got to go to yesterday, which was interesting. This is why we're recording this on a Wednesday, not a Tuesday, uh, which is here in Charlotte. And of course, all the biggest F1 and IMSA stuff that happened and is happening upcoming with the U.S. Grand Prix this coming weekend. So... Welcome to the show, Landon. Thank you. Yeah, I even see on our uh, topic list here, we're going to talk about Marco Andretti driving a Spire truck, who is totally Spire, not related to Andretti at all. They're obviously <laughs> their investments they're making are all on their own and have nothing to do with Andretti. Um, I am glad that we're live. I, you know what? By God, Parker, I hope that we're live and recording right now because we don't have Josh with us. So we don't. The this is a risk. Um, <laughs> the uh what do, what do they say that something's running the we've, i don't know we've, the asylum? we've stepped into the yeah. unknown right here and... <laughs> we've stepped into the unknown that we are joshless um this week <laughs> so i think that we're recording there's a red light on and i see the volume thing going up and down when i talk so there's something that means happening. we're good we should be we should be good here let's jump in the pr lap where we talk about ourselves uh just some housekeeping we like to tell you about good things happening in the Money Lab. The newsletter uh, continues to grow uh, very fast, so we appreciate that. It's got to be one of the fastest growing newsletters in all of motorsports. Even yesterday, in an industry uh, conference, I had multiple people walk up to me and say, I love the Money Lab. They didn't mean the podcast. They meant the newsletter, so we've got to do a better job on the podcast. But um, <laughs> that's awesome. Glad to hear it. We did get no new reviews on apple in terms of written but we did get one new five-star review so that's nice of them on spotify we had uh ed rod vega who said he lives in nyc too uh and listens to the podcast so we've got at least two listeners in nyc that's cool to hear uh jonathan havey says i will join parker on the track limit soapbox limit the inside shortcuts let them run as wide as they want on exit if they pay to race the track they can use the whole track amen <laughs> love that amen it's good it's a design I'm, flaw it, it's a design it, flaw that's all it is it is it really is by the way I, have i even have we even gone on the pod about how i believe chicanes are a design flaw you haven't you've heard actually. me You've heard me say that before, right? I know you have. Yeah, and I think they've they are caught. They are actually. This is one. This track limits thing is almost a symptom of them slightly in some respects. Of yeah, their yeah, chicanes the, are a design flaw, ladies and gentlemen. The disease it, that is a chicane for sure. 
Yeah, if you if you had to put a chicane in your track, then you it, it was an afterthought. Race <laughs> and you know how we be natural. Well, before we before I go to the next set of stuff, you know how we know that. How is that? Well, take some of the greatest, most historic racetracks around the world. Le Mans, the circuit there. The Molson Strait used mm-hmm. to be, I think, what, four miles long or eight miles, four miles long? Got yeah. split up by chicanes. Yeah. Two chicanes. That shows you right then and there. Issue. Monza. Ruined it. Monza, one of the greatest, fastest race courses in all of Europe. Just, just destroyed by a set of chicanes. <laughs> <laughs> Watkins Glen. Watkins Glen. Bus stop chicane. There you go. Destroy. Why we gotta put a bus stop there? The bus should not be stopping. They should be <laughs> sending it straight into the carousel and out to the boot. We've been working on safety in the cars. Maybe it's time we unleash them. No chicanes. <laughs> no chicanes. Get rid of them. No chicanes. There well, we should dive. That should be a good off season topic and we'll debate it. And I'm sure people will now reach out to us about this and how they are. <laughs> <laughs> on YouTube, uh, big friend of the pod, David Taylor, said Christmas special top 20 ad reads. I'm <laughs> <laughs> just going to play them all <laughs> in a row. The, we have... the 12 ad reads of Money Lap <laughs> on yeah, the first ridiculous. day of Money Lap. Lap. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a spoiler diecast. Um, we have oh, eight. We're on, on track limits. A-Cav. Yeah, we have ACAV 704. Maybe this is Alan Kavana. I don't know. Uh, on the track limits discussion, I went back and watched Botas's 2020 pole lap from Austria. At least four times he went over the whole the white line and used up just about the full curb. Where and why was the change made? It's so frustrating to see a driver like Lando Norris completely lose his P2 starting position because he got a little out of sh- shape and crossed a white <clears throat> line on exit which a driver can't see or feel from inside the cockpit anyway. Amen. We agree. I have no, the, the change has sort of come about because of the, the belief that the optics are bad of going over these curbs, which are arbitrarily put at the exit of corners because yeah. that's what they decided suddenly they need to be there. And the, the idea that all this pavement has been put in these racetracks, one for MotoGP, like was it the, the case at Qatar, which I also say Qatar, but it's actually Qatar, I guess. Um, and... So this, you know, they've gotten, they've really just gotten serious about it because the optics, but it just, it doesn't make any sense. Right. No. Yeah. I, I, I've had that argument before too, with actually track personnel who said, you know, it looks like crap to see drivers use our racetrack this way. No, I had this conversation (laughs) with someone at NASCAR. I'm sorry. They said, it looks like crap to see them, you know, run out on the road. And I think I... If I recall the conversation, maybe nodded my head in agreement or, you know, I kind of understand, I understand it, but gosh, I don't know. I just don't, I don't agree. I don't, I don't think I agree, but I hate track limits to begin with. (laughs) I guess if you want to argue and say, if you want to create all this pavement and then paint lines and then say, it looks like crap when you run over the lines, I guess I'm going to agree with that. (laughs) Right. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I disagree with that. But then I also want to go all the way back to the source of the problem, which is design a better track. Yep. <laughs> there you and go. And make, make natural track limits. You know where we have no track limit issues? I was just here la- there last week on Wednesday. Where? Lime Rock Park. Mm. No issues. 
You no. want to you, your limit? Grass wall, <laughs> lack of adhesion. Good luck. End up in yep. a pond. Yep. That's that's good track limits. We also had no track limits uh, at Las Vegas Motor Speedway, which I raced in the Xfinity Series. Our first race since falling out of the playoff hunt. Um, we end up P thirteen. Not our best weekend. We probably were about a seventh place car, like uh, the twenty one car finished there, but. And we were trying some new setup stuff, and I think we just went overboard. The track went super loose, which was surprising. So historically, that place tightens up. Historically, Xfinity races just tighten up through the races. Mm -hmm. But everyone was screaming loose, was super sideways. Hmm. We lost our track position at the end of stage one, and then it just became a slog to get it back, which you know when what happens is two things. One, in stage one, we started P11. We fell back in the first start. Then I got a great restart, got back just outside the top 10 and drove to finish ninth at the end of the stage using the wall. Mm -hmm. What happened was we went all the way to the back, drove back to the field, but the wall sort of got so much rubber, it went away as a, as a viable option of being able to utilize. So then I had to just sort of one by one my way forward. And we were super loose as well and not keeping up with the racetrack in terms of adjustments. And overall, I think we were just probably too loose as a baseline setup. <clears throat> but, you know, that the... the the part that was interesting was, you know, and what, why we struggled so much is this is what I was going to go with. Sorry. Was that that first run when everyone starts off and they haven't been able to work on their car is the best time to make hay because like, yeah, people, they abuse the right rear too much or the right front and they have to slow down. And if you, if you nail it or you find the wall or a different lane, you can fly and you make up a ton of speed after that first stop. And subsequently the second stop, they all have a chance to work on their car, drive it better, learn the track. Parody. And it, it, you, you get to where like everyone's running the same lap time and it's impossible to move forward. So you've yeah. got to get it done early and keep your track position. We did, I, we ended up P13, a uh, tough day, but you know what? If our worst days are that we basically with our stage points finished 10th, that's not, it's not terrible. I used to have that experience. Um, I learned, I first learned it or really realized it in the cup series driving for, and I drove for Phoenix racing a little bit for Hillman and, you know, we're kind of this underdog team, especially when I was at Hillman's, we would be this underdog team. And man, if we had our car dialed in, in practice, we knew going into the race that we were going to have a good car as good as we could have. Mm -hmm. Right. And that first stint, maybe even first two stints of the race, we might be out running, you know, back then it was like a Roush car or an NWR car or, you know, somebody with far more resources than we had, we'd be out running them. And then by midway through the race, you know, they would be pulling away from us. And, and eventually <laughs> this car that we were out running easily, the first half of the race was beating us yet, you know, we, we couldn't keep up with them. And a lot of times I'd had meetings after the race and it was just like, man, what happened? Why didn't we, you know, why did they, why, why didn't we keep up with the track or why didn't they, you know, why, why did we lose so much time to these guys that we were beating the first half of the race? And a lot of times my thought on it was like, Hey, we started the race as good as we were going to get. They started mm -hmm. the race way off. I mean, you, you know, I raced around <laughs> those guys. I could see them burning the right rear off and sideways. And, you know, they had a car that probably should have been faster than ours to begin with. And all they needed was a couple adjustments to dial it in. It's like you, yeah, you guys are at your maximum capacity. They're at their the 80% or something. Right. And that's why you get by them. And then they get the chance to work on it. And suddenly, you know, they're, they're and then I always find that, if you look at the lap times, <clears throat> it's really funny how was if you look at the separation lap time, by the time you get to that third or final run of a race, 
everyone's running the same speed right because right. they've all had the chances to figure it out and right. by that point you the no rub, more you know, yeah there's no more options the rubber is where it is you've got to run the same lane basically there's right. very few lanes you're going to find and so it becomes this just point of where it's really hard to pass or do or right. make any headway um, well i mean honestly it, yeah at that point it just levels out you got so few pit stops left there's not a lot of options um Speaking of options, though, you should check mm. out SpoilerDieCast.com because they have one of the largest inventory, inventories of diecasts in the industry, and they have over 800 unique products currently in stock. So you will not run out of options at SpoilerDieCast.com when you're looking to stock up your diecast collection, whether it's NASCAR, Dirt, Sprint Cars, IndyCar, F1. And with their pre-order system in place, you can be sure to get your hands on the latest diecast releases without the long wait. Kind of like how, you know, we fired off and start the races all dialed in. We knew exactly what we wanted. We pre-ordered. We had the car set up. What's even better, all orders ship same or next day. They offer free shipping on orders over $20. I think they also have probably some Landon Castle signed voyager cars left maybe maybe not we've been talking maybe about not it for, we got we've we been talking about it for a couple of weeks but if you i think if you spend over 50 bucks you're going to get a free one of those so um pro use promo code money lap uh receive free shipping five percent off all orders don't wait head to spoilerdiecast.com and get in your racing diecast fix love it and uh hey evan if you're listening to this i'm going to send you an email uh, we're wondering about those. I guess. Now. Yeah, we need an update on how many of those are left, or we need to run a new promotion. How about that? If, if you're listening, we uh, we probably should figure that out. So that is for the PR. That's it for the PR lap. Uh, Big Machine Racing. We're heading to Miami next. Looking forward to it. It's gonna be. Uh, that's one of my favorite racetracks. So rate that transition. Could... By the way, it was good. It was a ten out of ten. That's one of the best of the year. That's gonna get at <laughs> the, the front of our Christmas special twenty athletes. <laughs> <laughs> oh Let's gosh. jump into the biggest news around the racing world and some of the topics. And we start with something I mentioned earlier, which was I was given the opportunity to be at this racers forum, which was put on by the, the RTA or Racing America, uh, which is owned by the RTA. And the RTA is the Race Team Alliance, which is all the cup teams, the NASCAR Cup Series teams uh, had come together to have a media entity in Racing America and also sort of, you know, band together as a group to find um, opportunities for all the race teams in NASCAR. So they came up with this concept called the Racers Forum, which was a, a panel series this Tuesday at the NASCAR Hall of Fame. It was a panel of um, the evolution of ownership. Uh, there was one on multi-series racing and teams that participate in a bunch of series like Team Penske or Rick Ware Racing. Um and then there was uh, one on with team presidents and the role of team presidents in this day and age, which was really interesting. And then the final one, which I didn't get to see, um, was sort of like the evolution of where the sport's going in terms of marketing and growth opportunities. So one thing that came out of it, though, and obviously we can all talk ad nauseum about the idea that the, the, the business model for teams in the NASCAR Cup Series still continues to be difficult. The climate is tough. Sponsorship has been tough for a better part of a decade. We all know those things. But one of the things that's really been a topic that's sort of come up a lot lately uh, towards me, and, and I just think I hear it in a lot of areas as to you know the climate of the business model, and that was discussed as well. And the, the, the thing is the lack of star power amongst the NASCAR ranks right now, the NASCAR Cup Series, the idea that 15 years ago you had Dale Earnhardt Jr.'s and – 
Tony Stewart's and Carl Edwards and um, I mean, the list goes on and on. These, these big names, right? Jeff Gordon. And over the couple years, they left. And from then, there wasn't anyone that replaced them. And what was that? I have no idea. It was the most <laughs> awesome thing ever. If you're on video. Uh, somehow some balloons <laughs> just went up behind me. <laughs> what was that? Was I'm sorry for all the audio listeners. We're, yeah, we're watching I, the video and just balloons went up behind me. Like, not recording software. On a recording software. It just wished was, me a happy birthday or something. That is the greatest thing. Okay. Well, it loved Oh my gosh. Point. And I was really interested in what you were saying. And now I'm completely lost. <laughs> Long story short. Star, there is a, a thought that there's a lack of star power in the NASCAR Cup Series. Yeah. And you can't disagree, right, when you think about that there really isn't anyone right now who is seceding from the sport in a lot in a big way. There isn't anyone who is, you know, maybe at the level of those drivers from those that heyday. And there's discussions as to say, hey, is it their fault? Is it the sport's fault? Is it the team's fault? And I think that's that's for everyone to discuss. But mm -hmm. I think the most interesting conversation I had off of that topic was – and I'll, I'll – just to give you a synopsis of what the thought process was, you had uh, Brad Keselowski on the panel, Jeff Gordon, and Heather Gibbs. And I thought Brad had one of the most interesting things to say, which was, look, one of the things that never gets talked about is when you had Neuralite and UPS and these massive companies that were in the sport, they were spending, say, $20 million to be in the sport, but they were spending 20 or $40 million to promote the sport, and they were promoting their driver, whether it's Dale Jarrett wants to race the truck or, or Rusty Wallace is the Miller Lite guy, right? Like they mm -hmm. activated those sponsorships, and nowadays it just doesn't happen. It's not how they – they treat these sponsorships. The partners that are involved don't want to take that extra capital and put it into promoting the driver. They kind of want you to just be the influencer that you could be, right? And mm -hmm. he said then the onus falls on the teams or the drivers, and for some of the teams, it's not worth them investing in creating stars because you make this investment in a star, and then Hendrick Motorsports walks up and says, well, we'll pay them $3 million more than you can, and now they've mm -hmm. left you, and you get nothing for it. And so mm -hmm. that was a really interesting point. Um, well, let but, me uh, – can we talk ahead. about that? piece for yeah, a second go ahead yeah the teams now compared to 20 years ago the the teams i i think that 20 30 years ago the teams were managing the sponsorships themselves more they were sourcing and managing the sponsorships themselves more and so they were investing in this driver um because they controlled a lot more of the money. Now the teams, I mean, at the, at the highest end of the cup series, I think the teams are managing the sponsorships a lot, mm -hmm. but you know, now you have a lot more of this, the drivers bringing the sponsor and the team is more of a service provider than they are. Yep. A race team and a marketing company, right? They might try to pretend they are, they might say they are, but like, you know, we, we, it's especially in the Xfinity series, right? You have so many teams where it's just like they're the drivers are the ones funding the operation. The teams are the ones that are operating the operation. Yep. Um, so yep. they don't, you don't have a team. I mean, I, any one of those teams will activate and promote for you, but it has to be within the budget that you're bringing, right? They're not making those yep. investments themselves. That's a really great point. And <clears throat> I, I think that's been a shift for a lot right of these teams over the last decade to understand that 
and that their you know their customer is not the sponsor it's the driver right and the, the sponsor is well their customer you- their customer is whoever's paying to drive yeah. the car you know exactly. so if it's the sponsor you know in in a lot of cases maybe it is the sponsor saying hey this is the driver that we want or or it's the driver saying hey I'm want to sign a contract to drive for you and I'm bringing the sponsorship right yep and yep. then the you know then there's deliverables thing you know that 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 maybe the team does some of the sponsor deliverables or the driver you know and their agency does it themselves but it just seems like you know the um the team slash sponsor it's just not too it's not as straightforward as people might think and maybe it's not I don't know if it's as straightforward as it used to be um where the sponsorship went through the teams and then the the driver was hired um after that yep well. I think with this, what came out of that to me that was interesting was another discussion I was having with a friend today where they said, you know, what's funny is people want to blame the drivers, right? And Mm -hmm. they want to blame them for not doing enough and that sort of thing. And I think there is – there's sort of – you know, there's sort of crescents there, but there's also – there's so many factors that go into this, right, and why drivers have lost their – maybe some of the star power that they had 20 years ago. But what was fascinating was this person said to me, they said, you know, the, the culture, when you look back at Dale Earnhardt and Daryl Waltrip and Bob Bonte and Jeff Gordon and what's come out of that time that we've now learned is that they were so ahead of their time in that era to, be, to, to realize the importance of drama and you know, utilizing their, their platform – to create interest amongst the fans. And you think about Dale Earnhardt and Jeff Gordon's rivalry, but you know, most like the idea that maybe they were behind closed doors going, man, this is going to sell a lot of t-shirts. Like, like you know, and, yeah. and we know that stuff happened. It did happen. They were, they, some of them owned these companies together, these t-shirt yeah. companies and such. Like they came together and knew the importance of promoting this sport and promoting these rivalries and that sort of thing and being entertainers. And somewhere in the next two decades, that has sort of evaporated, and I don't think there's that mentality and that culture as much. And so I was like, yeah, I haven't thought of it that way, but maybe you can say – you can point blame in so many different areas. But maybe mm-hmm. one of the largest things is just changing the culture from, hey, we're entertainers. We're here to sell tickets and sell T-shirts and have a, and you know be entertained doing it and race cars. And somehow it shifted to, no, that's someone else's problem. Thoughts? I don't know. I, I mean, did the culture change? I don't. I I don't know if there's any single smoking gun. Maybe I'll, a couple things that I'll just point out is, um, because it, it's it can be all of those things, right? I think Brad made a really good point that you know the sponsors don't invest in activating like they used to, and I I hope I, you know I don't want to insult the sponsors that are investing because there are a lot of sponsors that do invest a lot in activation, but, um, you know, and, and there's also a, uh, I feel like the spokesperson strategy of large, large corporate sponsorship isn't the same that it was 30 years ago. I mean, obviously we have influencer strategies that, that companies that marketers invest money in, but, um, you know, I don't know if it, it seems like corporations, in general, don't, I don't know. I don't want to be too general on that. There's just so many (laughs) different things. I think that so many factors. What what I'm saying is Brad made a really good point, right? And 
and there's there's the idea of culture, you know, in, in our internal culture and what role did that play in it? And and like you said, the entertainers and and then the drivers not participating and promoting themselves, you know, and does that play a role in it? And I, you know, I like to point it that driver salaries and that that part, the role that that plays in star power, where it's just like, hey, at the end of the day, if you want these guys to be celebrities, they should be paid like celebrities and treated like celebrities. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm not trying to be yep. greedy by any means, but it's just like <laughs> celebrity culture is interested in the richest, the most famous, the flashiest. Um, you know, so meanwhile, we're spending $25 million to field a car for a driver that makes you know, a couple hundred grand in yep. some scenarios in the cup series. And, you know, that's a great living. Don't get me wrong. But if you're trying to create a superstar out of that, you're not going to. Yep. Um, and so you have that, that role that plays in it. But to me, the, maybe the biggest thing is to, that relates to all of it is just we're comparing to an era that averaged 9 million live viewers per race. Mm -hmm. Right. And now I mean, I think the Las Vegas playoff TV ratings were in and the viewership was what, under 2 million? No, it was, it was over 2 million. But around yeah. 2 million? It was like 2.1, 2.2 million. So we've gone from averaging 9 million to 2 million. Um, and, but our, yet our business model as a sport by and large revolves around TV viewership. Right. Yep. Like at the end of the day, there's a lot of different revenue sources. There's a lot of different ways to make money in, in NASCAR. But by and large, the majority of our business model is dependent on TV viewership. We've talked about this on the podcast. That's why we talk about TV numbers, right? Because <laughs> we get paid off of TV numbers. Yep. And so um, I, I feel like oh, there's all these great ideas, Brad, you know, da, 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 all that. These are all great points. And it's fun to talk about them because we should be aware and, it's good for fans to learn about all the different aspects of the business, but I think you can probably trace a lot of it back to just the fact that it's eyeballs and it's live and it's not just eyeballs because NASCAR is going to want to, would probably want to say, well, hang on a second. Our consumption is this X, Y, Z, right? And, and that might be true, right? You can have social media audience and you have all these other pieces of the audience, but at the end of the day, our business model to me, my understanding is pretty much based on, those TV numbers. That's what matters yep. the most. Um, so a, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these changes, culture changes, it's probably in my mind driven by that number. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if we'll ever get back to those same TV numbers because again, live sports is consumed differently than, than it was 20, 30 years ago, right? There's more, not just more TV channels, there's more ways to consume sports. You don't even have to watch the sport on television to consume the sport live. But those are the business, that's the part of the business that we have to adapt to, maybe diversify our our source of revenue, I guess, our our, our teams, for our teams or for, for the sanctioning body, the, the actual business model, the way we support this, this industry. Um, we they need to diversify that so that um, if the consumption numbers are what we hope they are, if they still are a hundred million NASCAR fans out there, that we're actually reaching those people and and our marketers can monetize those eyeballs. It's such a multifaceted uh, discussion, and I think you you know you've pointed out well that at the end of the day, there's less people watching, and that can just be 
some of the issue, right? Well, <laughs> hang on, though. I, I do want to <laughs> specify one thing. I don't necessarily I, – I, do I believe less people watch NASCAR now than they did 20 years ago? Yes, I think so. Well, oh, hold on. you don't even have to yeah. say there's less people watching. There's less yep. people watching the NASCAR on the platform that exactly. we get paid for people to watch. <laughs> That's what I was right? trying to point out. That's yeah. what matters. Because we don't – because, because you eighty percent of our media. revenue comes from uh, I, I may I hope I didn't make this number up, but actually, if you're a race team, eighty percent of your revenue comes from the TV contract. Yep. Right. Yep. And and the the number of eyeballs that watch that TV contract is is like down eighty percent from what it was twenty five years ago. Yep. So, and by the way, it costs just. It, you know, these, these cup teams are trying to fetch the same amount of sponsorship dollars that they were trying to fetch 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So they're trying to, you know, that's, that is the ultimate challenge when we talk about it's hard to find sponsorship. I don't think it's actually hard to find sponsorship. It's just, you're, it's hard to find sponsorship. That's for the amount of money to justify the eyeballs that are watching on live television. Yep. And that's where you know, the, the, and when we say, I should have just said there's less people watching, but they're, the way people consume it is different, right? Because you have social media now that you didn't have 20 years ago. You have all the, the live <clears throat> clips and everything, and how do you even quantify or value that right. has been a discussion amongst live sports well, for the last okay, decade. Okay, so, we'll so let me go one step further and say, okay, so, so let's sell our sponsorship against our impressions and eyeballs on social media too because we mm -hmm. have the drivers have great social media presence. The teams have social media presence, and that's fine, and I don't, I don't disagree with that. Except um, once you get into the realm of social media, your competition for those eyeballs is a completely different it's a completely different game than saying, hey, you know, our race is on Fox or a network, you know, tele television on NBC. And this is how many people are watching. Now you're going over to social media and you're competing against a completely different type of content. Right. Yep. And so. Um, I don't, I just don't know if there's who has really gotten the figured out the formula to still be able to go to a, you know, a blue chip sponsor and say it's $25 million to sponsor a NASCAR cup series car. And here's the way that you monetize it, right? Because we don't have that average $9 million or 9 million person audience that we used to have. Um, now it's a 2 million person audience. And then it's all these other things that bring up the eyeballs. I don't know who, I don't know if anybody has found the formula for that because I think that the, the teams at least have had a net loss of these $25 million sponsors in the last decade, not a net gain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, <laughs> That's a it tough is com it's complex. <laughs> it's tough. And it's interesting that really it leads back to this whole star power argument and uh, discussion in that, there's so many of these factors that have played a role in your your right. stars. Because I want to oversimplify. I want to oversimplify yeah. the star power and be like, pay the drivers more, make them celebrities, yeah. promote the drivers more, <laughs> put them on TV commercials, put them in national ad campaigns, put them on Saturday Night Live. And mm -hmm. you know, I think that I'm probably talking, you know, preaching to the choir on that because there's probably plenty of people in the ivory tower at NASCAR that would be like, hey, I, we'd love to do this, or or team owners that would say i'd love to be able to afford to pay my driver 20 million dollars but yep. you know if there's nobody paying for that if the sponsors are just you know if, if it's like if the teams are sitting in front of a sponsor fedex or whoever you know and saying hey it's 25 million dollars 
um, and that's just for the operation of the team, you know, you're gonna have to come up with another $20 million if you want to pay the driver and promote the driver and da, 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 da. It seems like in the last decade, the, the sponsors are saying, okay, well, let's just do the bait, you know, sign up for the sponsorship um, yep. because that's all we can afford. And, you know, hopefully the sport promotes the driver or the drivers promote themselves or, you know, mm -hmm. or we're going to hire a younger driver and we're, we can't afford a, uh, a top talent and pay him, you know, Kyle Busch's money or whatever. Right. And I think you, you brought up the next point, which is drivers having the onus on themselves. I do believe you've seen a shift in the, le you know, one NASCAR has been willing to allow drivers to garner their own content and put it out there, which I think a lot of drivers have started doing and why you see more and more content from drivers. I do. I have always talked about this and I am a big believer that you literally cannot have enough of that, that there is just no way to fill the void needed by these media, <laughs> social media platforms. Mm -hmm. When people who are interested in motorsports are looking for content, you will not satisfy that void. If you had a camera on you 24, seven, 365, it won't happen. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, I think the, that is that is something that is the the drivers are being given the leeway to do it and they are taking advantage of it now there was one last interesting thing said that i'm just going to go on a slight rant for a second <laughs> and that is that one of the panelists said that they had a driver who was not interested in the spotlight well let me let that person know that driver <laughs> that if you are not interested in the spotlight yet you would like to occupy one of the 36 premier seats in all of American motorsports and don't want to add any value, then you do not have a seat in one of the top 36 seats in all of American motorsports. <laughs> Goodbye and good. Thank you. And good night. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. I disagree with you, but that's okay. Why do you disagree? Um, well, I, 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 <laughs> I disagree because at the end of the day, it is a sport and the star, the, the, the genuine interest from fans or star power, that stuff can happen organically. Now, if a driver, you know, doesn't make it easy on themselves by avoiding the spotlight or being vocal about not wanting the spotlight or not servicing their sponsors, you know, whatever that may be, or the team, you know, not requiring the driver to do those things, then the driver, those are the drivers that are first on the chopping block when the performance is not there. Yeah, it's, it's like... I, it's it's kind of on my same. You, we've we've had similar conversations in the podcast about other topics. It goes to my my idea of saying doesn't matter as long as you win, right? <laughs> so drivers an over aggressive driver. We talked about Ross Chastain and how he wrecks people and da, 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 da. he's always sorry. He doesn't whatever. It's like when you're winning, people make excuses for you, right? Okay, but he's yeah. yeah. No, like here's the thing: is this driver that you're talking about? right if this driver was winning five races a year contending for a championship you know what they would be saying about him oh he's focused he's he's driven he's intense he doesn't have time for that <laughs> da, 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 da. they would they would make excuses for him right but if the if the time the the i would say moment but it's like after he goes two years with mediocre performance mid-pack performance can't win can't make the playoffs he's gonna lose his ride <laughs> right and and this and the sponsors or he'll lose his sponsor right because yep. that's when the sponsors themselves say well if he's not winning and he doesn't want to be in the spotlight then what's he doing for us right so you can do what you want 
Yep. Because it is a sport and there is a good, a pretty good way to judge how you're doing in the sport. And that is how do you finish on track? <laughs> so, you know, I, I appreciate your, what you're saying and I don't disagree with you on that sense. It's just like, Hey, add value buddy. But, um, to me, it's like, Hey, do what you want. But if you want to, if you are going to brand, if you're going to sort of step outside the box, um, you better be winning. But would winning, so when I say not in the spotlight, to me, winning puts you in the spotlight. So yeah, like, but I mean, think about, I, I don't know what, what they're there, celebrities they out don't... there or what, you know, show me an athlete. Uh, I, I wish I could, I wish I was making my case a little bit better for myself here, but it's just like, I'm sure there's, we can come up with plenty of athletes over the decades that won plenty of trophies, championships, and they were private individuals. They didn't seek mm -hmm. big big brand deals. They didn't elevate themselves. They just went out there and won trophies and yep. cash checks. And yeah, I mean, maybe they, the, the, maybe those, in some cases, those are the athletes that maybe go down as in history as the goats and the most influential people. And the, you know, cause they were humble and they didn't seek the attention. They didn't, you know, they weren't grifting over, you know, brand, every brand deal in the world. Um, and then maybe some, some athletes, might have had been well decorated, but also didn't didn't maximize their potential for the sport. I don't know, you know. So, but I, hmm. I think that in terms of like keeping a job and you know keeping yourself relevant in the sport, sure you can go down this path of saying, "Hey, I don't want to be in the spotlight, and I'm going to avoid all that, and I'm gonna you know I'm not going to do a ton of brand deals, or I'm only gonna I'm gonna do the bare minimum for my sponsor, and that's fine. You just better win trophies then. Yep, you better win or have an X factor because <clears throat> won't last. I don't know. I have a problem with it. I believe <laughs> I have a problem because I believe it's all entertainment and I have a problem. I think, you know, I look at formula one right now and I can't think of a driver who would avoid those. Now, some people would be like, well, Kimi Raikkonen, who was my favorite driver. Yes. But he also created one races and one races. <laughs> he won, like that's all that people his, cared about. He won. He was incredibly, he was a generational talent that had a very unique uh personality and i don't know i don't think he he hid from it it was like he just was a just a not outgoing person that's fine mm -hmm. but it's it's the the way this was termed i just had a problem with and you know <laughs> a, quote unquote avoiding the spotlight to me is a is a term i can't i don't understand you you know you in any athletic endeavor to me, it doesn't make much sense, but that is what it is. Well, one of the side effects of not having Josh is we, you and I can just, really long. we just go deep <laughs> into our first topic of discussion. So buckle up so, listeners, because we got a long one. We're here. either going to have to cut some stuff out of this show or we, we got a long ways to go. Well, we can go quick to the next couple of things. Let's you go. Are, I won't talk for a minute here. You uh, rip through some things. You just stop me when you want to make a comment on some things. In the <laughs> okay. truck series, Marco Andretti, as you mentioned, will be driving the number seven Spire truck at Homestead. He did that at Mid-Ohio this year. Uh, the question you asked, can Spire – so Spire is going to keep telling us they're not with Andretti in some respect. So I want to answer that. Um, just so everybody knows, they're not in business with Andretti. <laughs> They just, you know, their sponsors coming up board, you know, yeah. <laughs> Marco's driving a little bit, uh, the game bridge is gonna be on the car, but we're totally not invested with Andretti or Gamebridge or anything like that. It's yep. got it. 
<laughs> in the Xfinity series, Riley Herbst uh, scored his first win in dominating fashion, won by 15 seconds. Absolutely whooped us all. Uh, <clears throat> really impressive day. And, um, you know, one of those at his home track, pretty big day. Good for him. <laughs> uh, Sheldon Creed was announced that he's leaving the number two RCR car. The question is who will be driving there? Um, who will be driving there and where is he going? I've heard, I've heard all sorts of things. I believe he does have a ride already. So I, I don't want to say too much, but I believe he has a ride. Uh, very competitive in the X-Men series. Um, as to who's replacing him, I've heard almost every name you could mention. So, and personally, I know I'm really close to it, but I have no more inside information than that. We will see. I'll find out when you guys find out. So, look forward to that. Um, the Cup Series, eight race this past weekend at Las Vegas. Kyle Larson locked himself in the championship four with a, once again, really impressive drive on a mile and a half. Possibly one of the single greatest saves in the history of the next NASCAR gen, Cup Series. <laughs> next gen for sure. What? Like, let's just break that down for a second. He comes off turn two, gets completely sideways, and uses and does the old gas and brake, which I've liked, I've done before. Mm-hmm. But then also at the same time uses the hits the wall perfectly that it like writes the car <laughs> and gets to keep going and win the race. I was like, damn, that was impressive. <laughs> I don't uh I <laughs> words cannot describe how that car is to drive when it steps out. I haven't experienced it. You tell yeah, I don't know. It's 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 not it doesn't it just is not the type of feel that you can save. I don't know he he's and the other thing too is there's no conscious decisions that are being made. No, when he's that's doing reaction. He's doing. It's pure reaction. It's pure like muscle memory. Uh, it's it's all natural reaction. I've had through my career, every time I've had some crazy save, I've realized after the fact that it was just like, I don't even know what I just did there. Yep. Same. Like, why did I hit the brake and the gas at the same time and lock it no all No idea. I have no idea, but it worked. No idea. The The interesting thing to me with his, you know, he had tested the Indy car this past week at IMS for his rookie orientation. One of the things in IndyCar you'll you'll see as ovals is that they don't counter steer. Because the cars do the exact same thing like the next gen car with the the sidewalls that they have, they mm-hmm. often if you counter steer that's when they pick on, you know, sit on the left rear and go head on to the wall. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I saw that was really interesting that he did and maybe this was in his brain from the IndyCar stuff. Mm-hmm. He didn't counter steer the car starts to loop around his hands. The wheel stays straight. He locks it down on the gas and the brake and catches the wall and it comes back around. Hmm. And one of the things that's caught a lot of guys off or caught them out in the next gen car has been the counter steer and just trying to get that out of your, your mentality. And you see in the car, like if they do counter steer, it's a very slow, it's a very like, it's trying to basically just do the minimum amount possible. So the thing, it doesn't hook to the left or to the right. That's an interesting point. I one of the, I mean one of my first lessons that I I mean I feel like I've I don't say figured this out, but it's just like one of my first lessons of driving the next gen car was at the Coliseum because that was the first time I drove the car, and I learned this in the first practice session of driving this car was oh you don't want to turn the wheel 
<laughs> that was the lesson, right? Like Xfinity car, the old school, cu- you know, an old cup car, Gen 6, you, you, there's a lot of wheel movement, right? The wheel um, is a slower ratio. The tire has more deflection in it. The suspension has more deflection in it. So there's just, your hands are moving a lot, right? Where in the next gen, the tires are lower profile, the suspension is more rigid, the chassis is more rigid, and and the steering rack is quicker. Um, or at least all those things makes it feel quicker and more responsive. So you're not driving the car like this. You know, you really, mm-hmm. you're driving the car as, as, you know, keeping your hands as, as call as, as quiet as possible and doing a lot of the controls and maneuvering with the pedals, right? The gas and the brake. And so it makes a lot of sense. Um, and I've even felt this in a sim before where like, I've just spun cars out in the sim, but never counter steered. Right. Yep. And you just like hold the wheel straight and you don't counter steer. And then you use the pedals to kind of drive it back straight. Um, so kudos to Kyle Larson. No surprise that he's one of the first guys in real life to take sim tricks and move it to real, to, to real, <laughs> to real life. He's good like that. Ryan Blaney was disqualified after the race for a shock being out of the correct length. Then it was yeah. rescinded where NASCAR realized that their measuring system was faulty and that the shock was correct. That might be a first in all of NASCAR. I've seen that. Never seen that before. I was, um, when he got DQ'd for the shock lengths, I don't even know what the measurement everything was, but, um, I was interested in that because I was like wanting to jump on that from our perspective, the whole cheating thing, because ever since the next next gen started, I've talked to crew chiefs and, and engineers that have always been suspicious that there's been like internal shock cheating and things like that going on. Cause the shock has a bump stop internally and yep. you can't adjust the bump stop. You can't adjust the, the Packard gaps or anything like that. Like you can with an X- Xfinity car, the gen six. So there's always been like, Oh, so-and-so is probably cheating their shocks or whatever. And <laughs> so when I saw that Blaney got DQ'd for a shock infraction, I was like, Ooh, maybe this is it. Maybe this is maybe NASCAR found some, you know, some illegal, whatever, uh, alterations. And, but then they rescinded it with, uh, so anyways, I'm still suspicious. I don't read every, I don't believe everything I read online, (laughs) but Uh, obviously they did. Obviously they rescinded the DQ. I just, (laughs) I don't know. You had, uh, for RFK, you had Brad Keselowski, who was really fast in the conversation, possibly to win the race. Chris Buescher on the other hand, not in the conversation. Just wasn't there, didn't have the speed on that day, uh, didn't have the strategy, and lost a tremendous amount of points in his bid to go to the championship four. So they're going to need some help or something big for the 17 car to, to go all the way and complete this huge resurgence by RFK uh, in 2023. Good luck to him. That's me one funny, Yeah, one funny thing from the racers forum. Um, Steve Laletta, who's the president of 2311, had a funny joke about RFK uh, with Steve Newmark, who's the president of, of RFK Racing, when he said, you know, you have Brad Keselowski join, and I love these driver, active drivers becoming part of the ownership. And he said, at that point, you had this huge opportunity to name the team anything, and you named it RFK Racing. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's... I was like... 
That's pretty funny. Anyway. Yep. Um, well, you know what? It's, uh, you know what? Okay, Steve, it's awfully easy for the guy that's got Michael Jordan behind him yeah. to, to go ahead and pick on everybody else for not having great branding. So, <laughs> and I'm not sure. Here's my thing. I'm not sure it's bad branding. Now he did say it's like Robert F. Kennedy, remember? But I was like, Ooh, that's an interesting, yeah, that's <laughs> yeah. interesting connection. But I was like, you know, I'm not sure it's, it's bad branding because I was like, it's, it's three big names, Roush. Fenway and Keselowski. I was like, it, it kind of makes sense. I don't know. <laughs> I know. It's good or bad branding. It's whatever like you do with it. coming from the guy that's got Jordan brand behind him. Like, <laughs> okay, true. buddy. Don't, no, need the most powerful powerful no need to be a bully. No need to be a bully, sports. Yeah, no. But anyway, it is, and look, it's such a different landscape when you look at the team names these days. And it's cool to see 2311 and Trackhouse, but it's also three powerful names together. That's a cool thing as well. So I got no problem with it. Um, Martin Truex Jr. continues his run of, of not good races in the playoffs. They had a strategy call that didn't work out, never really got their track position back in a huge way. But um, that was that was interesting. He was pretty fast at the end, but definitely uh, this team is just not the team that doesn't look like the team that won the regular season championship, is the best way to put it. Yep. Just waiting for him to accidentally win one of these next two races and then just show up <laughs> and win the championship. Win the championship. <laughs> With the worst just, average finish in the history of NASCAR playoffs. In the, yep. With a great regular season. We already mentioned the TV ratings from this past weekend were down uh, actually 16.2% compared to last year. So interesting. It doesn't seem to make sense considering how good the racing's been at the mile and a half. But I say this often about TV ratings. They don't always make sense. So They don't. Uh, I mean, it's like the you know we started the summer series with NBC off with a bang, right? The ratings yeah. were all up. And then it's like when football started, football is cutting into NASCAR's ratings worse than it typically does. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's weird. I don't know. We'll see if it recovers. Um, it was announced this past week, one of the, the least or the, the worst kept secrets in NASCAR. Carson Hosevar has signed a deal with Spire to race in the Cup Series next year. Speaking of him, John Hunter Nemechek was announced that he will uh I guess sort of replace Carson Hosevar in the 42 car at Homestead, considering Carson Hosevar was supposed to do all the last remaining races for the number 42 Legacy Motor Club car. But after agreement between Chevy and Toyota, wherever John Hunter Mimicek will run Homestead in the 42. So he's getting a head start on his new ride for next year. And in the business world of NASCAR, one of the interesting things that was discussed this week was that once again, Hendrick Automotive, which is HendrickCars.com on Kyle Larson's car, continues to say they get a legitimate ROI from this sponsorship and that even if they, there's never been a point where Rick Hendrick has told them to do it, they want to do it, and they're getting a, a enough ROI to justify it. Um, and that's a good sign for the sport and for Kyle Larson. That is also a – a must if you don't want the IRS to tell you that your sponsorship on your own race team from your own company is a hobby. <laughs> All right. I'm Enough with the joke. I'm sorry. Anyway. Uh, um, so here's one thing about my, my opinion on this, the Hendrick cars thing. I love that. I love seeing that. And I, you know, I feel like, one thing that motorsports definitely needs and NASCAR especially is to take advantage or take advantage, but like leverage automotive partnerships. 
I, I mean, mm-hmm. I, I believe Rick Hendrick when he says they're, they're getting an ROI um, with HendrickCars.com. You know, the, the automotive, first of all, the automotive retail business is, is adapting very quickly into the modern environment. And HendrickCars.com is the, all of Hendrick's dealerships around the country aggregated to one website, right? Basically, yep. I mean, there's, I think there's like 15,000 cars or something like that. Maybe more on HendrickCars.com. I've uh, got the numbers this, right here. They, I'm the company said, go ahead. Well, the automotive business, Hendrick's automotive business is massive. The company said it posted <clears> 12 billion in revenue in 2022 uh, through sale, selling nearly 200,000 vehicles and servicing about 2.3 million. I'm just trying to see what I'm, I want to go. I'm going to go to HendrickCars.com right now because and they, they did say uh, that HendrickCars.com's largest traffic day of the year in 2022 was the Daytona 500, the day of the Daytona 500. And their biggest traffic day this year was the day they unveiled their throwback paint scheme for a race at Darlington in May. They also saw a spike after the recent announcement that Larson will compete in next year's Indianapolis 500 and Coca-Cola 600 and NASCAR on the same day, a rare feat in the racing world. So um, there's there's like on, yeah. there's nearly twenty five thousand cars listed on HendrickCars.com between new and used cars. Wow, wow. So, I mean, this is this is and this is a new thing for the car business, right? Because, I mean, the car business has gone internet over the last couple of decades, but now you have these huge dealer groups who are aggregating all of their inventory from anywhere around the country and being able to deliver a car online, right? So. It's, you know, it's exciting to me because I think the automotive retail business is definitely something that should be closely related to NASCAR. I'm glad that HendrickCars.com is naturally leveraging that because of Rick Hendrick's relationship with the sport and his involvement with Hendrick Motorsports. We've seen other automotive retail companies, you know, dealer groups dabble in the sport, but maybe not fully dive in. Um, uh, What... uh, I think Ziegler Automotive has has supported yep. Josh Blakey for a while. We've seen local car dealers in and out, Chevy dealerships, things like that getting involved. But, um, you know, I definitely think that these large dealer groups can afford brand, you know, proper national brand uh, ad campaigns, brand marketing, like NASCAR. Um, and hopefully, it hopefully it can be another source of sponsorship for these race teams. <clears throat> It's a good point, and we should point out that you are saying this from a dealership right now. <laughs> yes, I am at Castro Motors. My family's car business because I grew up in the car business, so that's where yeah. a little bit of this knowledge comes from. <laughs> a little bit. I do. If there's one thing I do understand, it's NASCAR and the car business, used, selling used cars. <laughs> I just thought you're, you're going such a deep dive into car business and why it makes sense, and you're speaking from a car dealership. So it just it seemed <laughs> fitting. It seemed really fitting. Um, I, and I, I do think it's been interesting that you look at some of these automotive groups that haven't dived in, but you see them in other forms of racing. I believe uh, Life or Leith, whatever, Life Auto Group, they are involved in IMSA with their drive. I think it's them that owns the drive uh, now.com um, that was on that Porsche for a while. And so I, I think there's you do see these groups, and it makes sense. They sell cars, and why not race cars? So mm-hmm. it's like if – if uh, electronics retailers could race computers, they well, would. Well, I mean, let's not forget that this is kind of the origin of the sport, right? Yeah, the, selling cars. With, you know, <laughs> selling cars. Win on Sunday, sell on Monday. So, um, 
there's uh yeah there's no reason that these large auto groups don't find ways to partner with their manufacturer and you know i don't know maybe, maybe we'll see a resurgence of um automotive sponsorships in the sport it'd be cool one uh segment of motorsports that has seen a massive surge in corporate participation and this is across every sector and especially the tech world is formula one and now it has caught the eye of some famous people investing in it as well it was announced this week that travis kelsey and patrick mahomes the uh nfl football players by the way that's travis kelsey also known as taylor swift's boyfriend um <laughs> among many other stars have purchased a stake in alpine f1 team which is the same uh, i think it's under the same group that had um, the actors, what's their names, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney, uh as part of it. So it's uh, it's this massive group of famous people. It also included a, uh, Rory McIlroy, the golfer, also known not as Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Um, anyway, interesting to see. I don't know if I really have anywhere to go with this. I feel like it's uh, maybe in our top signal. World, <laughs> I don't know if I have a big point on it. I, I, I don't, I, I like, yeah, it's cool, and I don't know how much they own of it, and I don't get, you know, the the percentages that are there and where they go with it. I guess you know, now would we be hyped if you were buying into NASCAR teams? Sure. So I mean, it's, it's a cool thing for F one, cool thing for motorsports that they're interested. Mm-hmm. Uh, in doing this, and I, I don't know what Alpine plans to do to leverage it or or to use these all these names, right? I think it'd mm-hmm. be a great sell point to your partners, um, but I'm not sure how much you can utilize those people if you have conflicting partners to things they represent and that sort of thing. So I don't I don't know, um, but it's interesting, and we'll keep our eye on it, see where this goes, and what it sort of means for the trend of the sport. Yeah, I don't know if I have any other. Do you have any other? thoughts on it uh i don't i don't really have too much else i mean we've seen it in and out of the sport over the years and typically i think that would like celebrity partnerships in these in race teams is his a top signal uh, but obviously in nascar the recent celebrity partnerships we have are actually pretty impactful i mean michael jordan goes to a lot of nascar races which you yep. would have never thought and he actually you know, he cares about it. He's running his race. He's part of running his race team, not just showing up for his own benefit. Um, I don't, he doesn't need NASCAR to get more famous or popular or get attention. So and think about Pitbull. Pitbull. Um, right Pitbull. I mean, that's, that's he, another one. He named that his I, album track house and has the cars yeah. and the music video. And everything. Yeah. He's in, he is fully engaged. So with the exception of those two, I mean, historically celebrity NASCAR partners has always just been, some kind of smoke and mirrors. You don't know the full story. They're just trying mm-hmm. to leverage a, a celebrity name to get sponsorship or whatever. <clears throat> I don't know if that's the case here with Alpine other than, you know, they could be capitalizing on just the, the pop culture um, rise of F1 and, you know, these, these celebrities and other athletes maybe just tagging onto that themselves. I don't know. To be able to say that they own a minority stake in an F one team is kind of a cool thing. Do they have any obligations? Did they get it? For, did they get their equity stake for free in exchange for some <laughs> obligations? Who knows? I don't know. We will find out. That might be Alpine calling you in the background right now. Yep. Uh, Lance Stroll has zero points since the summer break in F one. 
It's just uh, it's on our list here to point out. Basically, Aston <laughs> Martin has not kept up development. You know, nor has he kept I felt up like speed. we went to Hilton Head for a week this summer, and I just wasn't right for like two weeks after going to the beach. <laughs> I, so I think I know. I feel you, Lance. I mean, I'm telling you, it's October. You got to get it together. There's just a few more races here. But it it is hard to like go on vacation and then come back and pick up where you left off. I look forward to, to experiencing you, this next year for when the Xfinity series has almost a month long break in July. And August. <laughs> I will, I will let you know what it's like to have to return and, and go fast again. Uh, look forward to trying that one. It is being reported out there that if Sergio Perez does not finish second in the driver's championship, that Danny Ricardo could possibly be back, be going to back to the <clears> Red Bull main team he was in nashville this week to promote the u.s grand prix doing a run through uh which was really cool to see and it got a lot of fans out there and a lot of content around that i saw throughout social media so that was cool um and i love how rebel does that i think that's one of the coolest things rebel does that i wish nascar teams did more of over the years and f indie car teams it's just like this run through the streets shut them down in like a city like an area and just run a bunch of cars through there and do donuts and everything i'm like that is so cool why do we not do that I would love to do that one day. Um, does does Perez want to be the second Red Bull driver next year? <laughs> That's a good question. I believe he has said he wants to be, but that is a good question. Would you want to be at this point? Like, this is just, I don't know. I would, personally, none of us can see what, know what's going through his head, right? I think if you're going through such a rough time, a lot of athletes would think, I want to, Prove that I can get back, right? Hang on a That's second. Nature wasn't it like a couple months ago? He was kind of walking around, almost like he didn't care. Said he'd rather go somewhere else. <sighs> That's stretching my memory. I don't remember that. No, no. Okay. I think he kind of said, "If I'm not want, like I'll just go do something else." But I don't know. Maybe it's it just hasn't worked out. I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. He's a good he's good uh he's good fodder for everyone. There is the USGP this coming weekend, by the way. Do we want to make bets on second place? <laughs> not hmm. bets, sorry, we're not allowed to bet. Uh, <laughs> well, we're gonna make our picks. We'll make our picks uh we'll make our picks on the money on. lap. Uh, you'll see it online. You'll see you'll see it on social media and newsletter and whatnot. Yeah. Last thing we're going to jump into, it was the Petit Le Mans this past weekend. Mm. I don't know if, how much you caught of it. I actually only really got to see the, the recap that uh, we have in the Money Lap newsletter there from Sports on NBC YouTube page. It was about 30 minutes when they recap a 10-hour uh, race, but it was a tremendous race. Uh, I was trying to keep up a little bit Saturday night as it came to a close, um, but it just a, a huge battle for the championship amongst all the GTP cars in the first season. And then it came down to the last hour and after Rex and just there were so it was a record number of cars. So there was a tremendous amount of traffic for the GTP cars to navigate. So it was just a crazy time. I mean, on that that having almost 60 cars on that track, I used to love when they do this is like basically a car every couple hundred feet <laughs> compared to having like 60 cars at Le Mans, which is 8.4 miles. Right. So. <laughs> Or whatever, I think some eight miles, something like that. So the not to mention it's you know not the most uh, runoffable racetrack. No, <laughs> well, what yeah, what happened was the last lap, the last hour, 
it came down to a battle between Wingtail Racing and the Whalen Cadillac. And into turn one, one of the fastest corners in American racing, the two GTP cars going for the lead came together where the Wayne Taylor racing car, Philippe Albuquerque tried to make an outside pass into one and left himself totally vulnerable at nighttime to people Durrani just using up, using him up a little bit and forcing him off the track. And so the whale and Cadillac became the, uh, the champions. So interesting finish to a crazy race and a crazy season. Um, but when I saw the, you know, aftermath of that, I just couldn't help but think Philippe Albuquerque left himself in a vulnerable, vulnerable position when he probably didn't have to an hour to go. And that's racing. That's racing, as they say. That's stock car <laughs> auto racing. Stock, well, this is this, this is prototype auto, auto racing. racing. Yeah, this is prototype, <laughs> prototype auto, auto racing. racing. That's big time prototype, prototype auto racing. Hey, you know what? We made fun of ourselves for being going like crazy on this one without Josh, but we're at an hour basically all long show and we're done. That's everything. The so only we can... thing we didn't do, I started to do earlier and then I lost the timing on it was we didn't keep notes of our, of our timeline here for Josh. So he's no, we absolutely didn't definitely going to have to go back and listen to the show. Good luck, so buddy. If there's no, <laughs> if there's no, what do you call them? Timestamp. If there's no timestamps on this show, apologies. Blame but Josh. Also, dang it, Josh, <laughs> get your timestamps done. <laughs> I'm going to Homestead, Miami this weekend. One yeah, of my favorite tracks in all NASCAR, <clears throat> by the way. Uh, yeah, you. I know you have strong opinions. You ran very well there last year. I've run really well there in every series almost. I love this place. But please uh, give me all the insight possible that I could utilize. <laughs> um, I want you to qualify 20th. And if I need to run it by your <laughs> by crew way, chief. You didn't qualify 20th. I qualified 19th. You qualified 16th. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you, no, you did. I we looked 19. it up. We looked it up. Look it up right now. Look it up, folks. So he has been telling me for the better part of a month to qualify 20th because he qualified 19th. And he, I'm gonna just, I'm gonna blow up your spot here. You felt like you saved your tires, and so you were super fast in that first run. And then we go look at it doing the prep for this week, and you qualified 16th. <laughs> It's just a great example of how us drivers, like I'll always have that. I'll be like, man, we qualified dead last. Well, like, 16th is still not good. I was fastest in practice. Oh, I didn't see that. You were fast in practice. So, but I'll, I'll, just to your point, a lot of times I'm like, yeah, we started dead last. They're like you, you started 21st. There's <laughs> was, was 40 cars. It's like, oh yeah, I guess it felt like dead last. <laughs> I'm so what do you, explain your point though. Well, first of all, for qualifying, I think that you can hurt your tires in qualifying. Okay. I qualified 16th. <laughs> so I think you can hurt your qual your tires in qualifying at Homestead. <clears throat> yeah. So my first bit of advice, and if you need me to back you up to Patrick, or if this is it because Patrick listens to the pod, um, don't slide your tires in qualifying. You might qualify 20th. You might qualify 16th, but don't slide your tires in qualifying. And I think you'll pay dividends at the end of the first run. By the way, and the reason I'm not worried about track position there, granted there wasn't, I don't know if there was a ton of cautions or not, but I just, I drove to second. So, you know, I don't, yep. I didn't have any major help. I just drove to second. So um, maybe I had a, the best car I had all year, or maybe I saved my tires in qualifying. I don't know, but I do feel like I was better in relation to the rest of the field that first run than I was the rest of the race. I was a top 
I was the fastest car on the track at the end of stage one, but I was a top three car the rest of the race. Yeah. Top five car the rest of the race. So I felt like my tires had something to do with that. So don't burn up your tires in qualifying. Don't worry about get, winning the pole. It's not going to do anything for you. Um, how, but other than that, I don't, I, I ran the wall, but, um, and obviously I think, you know, the best car and the best speed is up against the wall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we were, got our butts kicked by Noah Gregson, who spent, I know for a fact has spent years working on that line in the sim in real life he's he's um he's paid the price for it he's you know wrecked cars because of it and he's gone back to the sim and gone back to training and and worked on it harder yeah right? and and same with tyler reddick right he wasn't in that race obviously but um i think that I think that yes, you can run the wall, but I don't think you have to. And I don't know if there's anybody. I think the person in the field that you're going to be up against in terms of being able to run the wall that can run it as good as Noah is probably Sheldon. Yeah, in my opinion. Which you know the he's, the only two the only cars running the wall. Here. What's that? The only two the only two cars running the wall at the end of stage one that where I made all I passed like four or five cars up there. You and Sheldon was myself and Sheldon. Yeah. <laughs> so to me, I still the got only, him on it, but. I, I don't think I love the wall. There's let, let's just say that there's three tenths of speed to be able to run the wall the way yep. Noah Gregson does or the way yep. that Tyler Reddick does. Um, it, well, I don't think that you have that problem there because you don't have Noah Gregson in the field. You're not going to have Tyler Reddick in the field. I think the only person that's close to being able to do what they do is, is Sheldon. Mm -hmm. I think Sheldon can do it, but I think, I don't think Sheldon is as, is, where Noah was last year in terms of his ability yep. to run the wall. So yep. with that said, I don't think you should kill yourself to run the wall. I think you should be able to run the wall or run high or run a foot off the wall. Mm -hmm. um, and that's going to be good enough. You need to be good enough that a foot or two off the wall and you'll be fine there. Um, plus, so I've been, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was going to say I've been working on the wall for a better part of a decade on that place. And it started back in 2012 when I won the pole and then Kyle Larson drove by me on the wall and I saw it and I thought I have to figure out how to do that. And I finished seventh that day. He finished top three, I want to say. Mm -hmm. And this was in trucks. I came back there and ever since I've worked on the wall. And in 2013, I had it down and cut a tire up there when we had mm -hmm. steel bodies last year in the trucks or a couple years ago in the trucks, I went from similar thing to you, dead last to running up in the top five. And at the end of that run, I used the wall. And in last year in trucks, the only thing at the end of the race during the daytime that allowed us to finish in the top 10 with our 75 truck that day was running the wall and using mm -hmm. it. Have I gotten to where I've been able to use it to win a race? No, but, I think it's it's on my mind because it's something I feel like it, like Vegas this year, both races I was the only one using the the, the wall in three and four mm -hmm. and making it work. <clears throat> That's historically been something I do and I've enjoyed it because of what I learned from Larson back in that day, those at twenty thirteen season as well. So it's like with this composite body, I the only thing I've had questions about and we've actually I was asking Sean about this. I was like, hey, 
I can't figure out how hard I can hit the wall though. <laughs> I was like, because it's composite body, you can, and sometimes you cut a tire down, sometimes you don't, whatever. And I, I yeah, will say that is wall. a question in my mind. So yeah, I mean the, the end of the day, I ran the wall for majority of the race this past weekend, never touched it. I did that the same at the truck last year at Kansas, and I did the same thing at Kansas in the Xfinity car this year. You know, I gave that, but I'm like, I know if I want to win this race and use the wall, then there's that last little bit I've got to get, and it might take hitting it a little bit. So that's on my mind. I'm going to, tr- I, I appreciate your sentiment. I get what you're saying, which is there really isn't that guy right now that's probably the best at it in the series. But why to not me, you? why not me? Yeah, because I think I've got enough experience through this season <clears throat> of figuring out different places, and I'm like, I'm going to do it there. Yeah, we'll see. You'll For find me, out on Saturday. Yeah. <laughs> Well, for me, the focus, I'm curious what your focus is on it. For me, the focus in three and four, particularly because the shape of the wall is very inviting mm-hmm. to run the wall there. One and two, not so much, um, or it's it's just tougher. But for me, the, the thought process, it's a little bit backwards than traditional thinking is a lot of people think, okay, when you're running the high side, when you're running up against the wall, it's all about exit, right? You're making the exit better. Mm, no, no, no. It's to get yeah. a big run. Nope. It's actually, in my mind, it's all about entry. It's all mm-hmm. entry. And what you're trying to do is you're trying to, the shape of the wall needs to be the shape of your corner. Yep. Right. Yep. Like that's, and then there's a point on the wall, you know, around turn three and four, and it's just past the physical center of the corner. So it's a little bit farther past there. That's the point where you need to be picking up the throttle. Yep. The whole magic to how Noah runs the wall and how Kyle Larson runs the wall and Tyler Reddick runs the wall is they win the race from entry from the, the from the stoplight on the way into the corner, the, the mm-hmm. caution light to that point where you touch the throttle. Yep. That's where they win. They don't yep. win it by push, pushing the gas harder or picking up the throttle sooner. Yes. You always want to pick up the gas sooner. That's just, that's a fundamental to any corner, whether you're on the high side or low side, you want to pick the sooner you can get back to the throttle and the sooner you can get wide open, the better, but where the race is won running the wall and rim riding as we call it is from those caution lights on entry to that point where you touch the throttle the faster you can go in that section running an inch off the wall keeping that perfect shape the better you're going to be and it is a lot easier to do in three and four because you can attach i think about attaching to the wall on entry Mm -hmm. and it's where you you really have to have that trust and that that's where you that's where you gain that speed because you attach the car to this wall effect and at homestead miami one of the coolest things is if you walk the track, you ever walked it and looked at that area next to the wall? And if you um, notice it in the race? What about it? It has no rubber on it, and it's a lighter shade of asphalt. And it's, yeah. like, a, it's like a couple inches big, and you, lo- you realize, and sometimes it has a little bit of blue on it from them painting the wall. Mm-hmm. And you realize, you're like, that's where I need to put my right side tires yep. and follow that line. And, you, and I always think of this like super grip that's up there. But when you're hitting it correctly – but the fu- the line between doing it right and doing it wrong is literally an inch at 150 <laughs> miles an hour and on tires that are falling away from you. And so it's a really, really tough thing to do. One and two is always more difficult because you can't – because of the shape of it, you can't quite attach the wall as early. You have to have mm-hmm. a little bit of an entry, give a little bit of like a, a fade on entry, and then attach the wall. So I've always found that a little bit more difficult. It's also not worth as much as three and four yep. per se yep. to be on it. So with that said, I appreciate the insight. This is, uh, it's good stuff. I'm going to use it. So (laughs) I will definitely use it. That's the pod. Thanks for listening. We'll, uh, we'll see you all next week. Peace. Bye.
Thank you so much for listening to The Money Lab. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all this content for free. So what do we ask for? Simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.